Appreciate the Lord helping our people. Let's read tonight the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. I want to read verse number 36, 37, and 38. And I want to talk a little bit about this woman again. I mentioned her briefly this morning by the name of Anna, one of those three wise women that we talked about this morning. Look at verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Aser. Now, uh, that's a, transliterate, a transliterated word, and that literally means the tribe of Asher. Uh, so she was the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So what I'm going to do tonight, if you'll bear with me for just a moment, and this is all basically we know about this woman by the name of Anna, but we are given a few bones here. And I'd like to just preach a little bit about the story of Anna from the few bones and, uh, that were given and try to flesh out a story about her life. Anna, Anna the woman of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. Thank you for the good day on the church buses. What a good day here in the, uh, in the middle of, uh, well, the latter end of fall and beginning to push toward winter. And thank you for the hard work of all of our bus captains and workers and drivers. And thank you for safety to and from church today. God, what a good day you've given us. I pray you bless your word tonight now and just help us as we look at this lady's life and talk a little bit about uh, her and what she should mean to us and maybe draw some conclusions from her life that maybe we could set upon our life as we live out these last days. Bless your word. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we first meet this woman by the name of Anna, we're told there in verse number 36 that uh, she was a woman of great age. And I want to kind of, if I can, just kind of get your mind in gear about where we're going with all this. She was a woman of great age. That's the Bible way of saying that she was an elderly lady. Now let's see if we can't put together a little math here and kind of figure out exactly how old she is when it comes to our text tonight. So first of all, we're told there in verse number uh, 36 that she had lived, she had been married to a husband, her husband, for seven years. Evidently, after that, according to verse 37, her husband passed away very early on in life. And then she had been a widow now of fourscore and four years. Fourscore, four times 20, that's 80 years plus four more. So now we have accounted for some, what, 91 years of this lady's life. 91 years. She was uh, she'd married to her husband for seven years, and then her husband passed away, evidently suddenly and tragically, and she'd been a widow now for 84 more years. So 84 and 7 uh, comes to 91 years old. And then we got to consider the years before of her life before she was married. Now, I told you this morning, back in Bible days, it was nothing for a young lady to get married when she was 14, 15 years old. So let's do the youngest of that. So let's say she was 
was 14 years old when she got married. Now, when we put 14 to 7, we're 21. And when we put 21 to 84, she's now, I think a very conservative estimate, would put her at about 105 years old as of our text. Now, what about if she got married later on? Maybe she was 19. That'd put her at 110. So we are considering a lady of great a great age. We would at least conservatively say she was a woman in the neighborhood of around 105 years old. But as we continue to read the Word of God, we find out that she was a woman who had grown old loving and serving the Lord. She loved God with all of her heart. She loved God with all of her mind, with all of her soul, and with all of her strength. Then we find furthermore from verse 36 that she is from the tribe of of Asher, from the tribe of Asher. Now, when we consider all of that, let me say some things about that. Asher, who was Asher? Well, we know that Asher was born, uh, one of the sons that was born to Jacob, which makes up the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Asher. Asher's mother was Zilphah. Zilphah was the handmaiden of the unwanted wife by the name of Leah. So maybe we could say it like this. You know, Asher was uh, the unwanted son of the unwanted slave of the unwanted spouse of Jacob. We know from the story that boy Jacob really loved Rachel, but he just kind of tolerated Leah. So she was kind of like the unwanted wife. She was slipped in on him the night of uh, the wedding when he was supposed to marry Rachel. Her daddy Laban kind of slipped in and said, man, we can't give the younger away before we do the older. So all throughout the life of Jacob, uh, Leah seemed to be the unwanted spouse. And then, of course, we know that to the unwanted spouse uh, that uh, Laban had given the unwanted servant uh, by the name of Zilphah, and then, of course, any children that was born to her was probably considered to be the unwanted sons of the unwanted slaves of the unwanted spouses. And Asher was one of those children born to Jacob. But the name Asher means this. It means happy, happy. He was the happy tribe. Now, putting all that together, here we've got an unwanted son from an unwanted slave from an unwanted spouse, and yet he turned out to live a happy life. You know, just because there have been some setbacks early on in your life don't mean it should quench the light of joy that you can live in. Everybody in this room, I'm sure, has had some setbacks in life. We've had some tough times. Maybe your childhood was anything less, anything but desirable. Maybe you were the unwanted child, seemingly, maybe of the stepchild. Maybe your mother got married again or dad got married again and you kind of was that unwanted child. Maybe they went on to have some biological children together and it always seemed like you were the unwanted child. But I'm just so glad I can tell you that uh, even though that may be our lot in life, aren't you glad we can still have happiness and still have joy and what happens to us early on in life don't have to be a, 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 a compass uh, for the direction of the, of the rest of our life. We can still be happy, still have joy, even though things may be less than desirable in early on in our walk of life. I don't know who may all be sitting in this room tonight, and maybe you have a rough childhood. Maybe you went bounced from one step-parent to the next step-parent, and you were kind of just thrown here and there, back and forth to a grandma or a grandpa or, 
or an aunt, uncle. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you had a tough childhood. But I just want to tell you, because of Jesus, you can still have joy and be happy as a child of God. And that seems to be the life of Asher. Well, guess what? Anna, this woman that we're talking about, was from the happy tribe. I have every reason to believe tonight that even though Anna had really had some setbacks in life, that she still had a happy, a happy life. I want to share with you tonight from this text, talking about Anna, three things about her life tonight. Let me see if we can kind of uh, narrow this down for just a minute and flesh out a story about her life. First of all, I want to talk a little bit in verse 36 and verse 37 about the victory of Anna's life, the victory that she enjoyed. Now, I've got to tell you again, we really don't have a whole lot about her life. And yet, in the few bones that we are given to her life, we kind of understand that Anna went on to achieve victory over bitterness in her life. Now, here's the thing that I know about bitterness. I've been there before, and bitterness is certainly not any fun in life. Uh, bitterness will destroy you. It'll rise up and destroy your life if you're not careful. And I'd like to give good counsel tonight to anybody in this room that may be, uh, may be having a little bit of bitterness in your heart. If you love you, why don't you go on and get that bitterness out of your heart tonight? Oh, I, wonder, I didn't say if you love the person that you're bitter against that maybe he's done you wrong, but if you love you tonight, you ought to go on and just get over that, seek God's forgiveness, get that out of your life because bitterness will certainly do you a lot of harm. Anna, it seems like from the record of the Word of God, had every right to be bitter. Let me see if I can break that down for you for just a moment. Let me say number one, I think she had, to, she had a right to be bitter over the funeral. She had a right to be bitter over the funeral. Now, what I mean by that, I'm talking about the funeral of her husband. So here she is, just a young girl. I said 14 years old, and she's married uh, this particular man, and no doubt she loves him very dearly, and they live together as husband and wife for seven years. I would simply say that's probably still in the newlywed, uh, the newlywed stage of her married life. And oh, how much those two must have loved each other. I mean, maybe they just, uh, man, they were or just the, the sun rose and set in each other. and They were absolutely crazy about each other. And then because of some kind of a circumstance, he has, he has ripped away from her very early on in their marital life. They lived together for seven years and then maybe some tragedy occurs. Maybe he's run over by a chariot down on Main Street in Jerusalem or, or maybe some kind of an accident. Maybe he and some of his buddies were out cutting wood and the axe head fell off and hit, hit her husband in the head and tragically he was killed very suddenly and maybe she never got to tell him how much she loved him one final time and, or give him one final hug or one final kiss and, uh, and she had to go down to the funeral home and pick out a casket and, and uh, plan a funeral for a husband that she'd only been married to for seven years. Boy, I want to tell you something. Many times when death comes like that, it leaves a person with great bitter feelings toward God, that somehow God did not do them uh, right, that God was unfair to them, that God was cruel to them. I've seen it happen more than one time when death comes very suddenly and snatches a loved one out of the 
grips of their, of their other loved one and, and they get bitter at God and they get mad at God over that. But can I just stop and remind us all tonight that there would have been no death had there been no sin. And the only person we've got to blame for sin and death is ourselves. I mean, I get it. I understand the bitter feelings and the grief when a loved one is taken away suddenly. I get all that. But can I just stop and say, ladies and gentlemen, don't get bitter at God. Don't get bitter at the Lord when death comes and maybe takes a loved one away from you tonight. Can I stop and say this? Just remind us all of this. None of us in this room can control what happens to us. You cannot control what happens to you. When death comes along and takes a loved one away, you cannot control that that happened to you. When disease comes and takes a loved one away, you cannot control anything like that happening. Many times when a divorce comes in life, many times it is against the, the will of one or the other uh, of the two people who are married together. And many times maybe somebody gets a little bit bitter over something like that happening. But I just want to remind us all again, you can't control what happens to you, but every one of us can control what happens in us tonight. You don't have to get bitter when some tragic circumstances comes about in your life. You don't have to get bitter. Anna somehow, even all that happening early on in life, maybe she's around 20 years old when her husband is just snatched away from her, and yet she didn't get bitter and mad at God. And the reason I say that is, we read there in verse number 37, that she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. But she couldn't keep that from happening to her, but she rose up above the circumstances of her life and she refused to allow bitterness to grip her heart and to eat away at the very vitals of her soul. And she kept on serving God. And ladies and gentlemen, God blessed her life in the final analysis because she refused to get bitter over her lot in life. She had bitterness. She, she, achieved, she achieved joy in the midst of her bitterness. She could have been bitter over, her, over the funeral. Then I thought about this. She could have been bitter over the family. Over the family. What do I mean by that? Well, if you'll notice there in verse 37, and is it verse, verse 36 in verse number 37, we kind of get the understanding that she was brought up right by her mama and her daddy. And the reason I say that is because we're told there in verse 36 that she is the daughter of Penuel. Did you see that there? Uh, Penuel. She is the daughter of Penuel. Evidently, by the way, that name Penuel means this. It means the face of God. Evidently, her daddy walked with God. And when you saw the face of her daddy, you seen somewhat of the face of God. I kind of get it in my mind just reading from the, uh, between the lines of the story is she had a mom and a daddy that maybe made her go to the house of God when she was brought up. I mean, they took her to the temple. She didn't, it wasn't an option. It was not a decision that she could make. She was forced to go to the house of God. She had a daddy that loved God and wanted to bring that young 
lady upright and she was forced maybe to go to the house of God and yet later on in life because she had a mom and a daddy they put that kind of foundation under her she didn't become bitter at her family because she had a mom and a daddy that forced her to do what's right you know there's a lot of people that do that don't they and they've got a good mama and a good daddy maybe they got a daddy that loves God and a mama that loves God and they take them to the house of God and they bring them upright and then later on in life what do they do they turn against all that they get bitter and a mom and a daddy wouldn't let them run around with every Tom Dick and Harry and wouldn't let them lay around and drink liquor and smoke drugs and go to parties and dress any old way and they get a little bit bitter about all that and filled with resentment and they turn against their own family because they felt somehow like they was robbed they was sheltered when they was growing up God have mercy on us tonight. Hey, can I stop and say this? If you've been brought up in a Christian home, privileged indeed are you tonight. If you had a mom and a daddy that loved God and brought you up right, hey, I want to tell you something. That is a great honor that you shouldn't be bitter against or feel resentment toward. You ought to thank God for a daddy and a mama that got you up out of bed, took you to the house of God, taught you to love Jesus, showed you how to live right, had a good testimony, you ought to thank God for that tonight. Amen. You say, well, I've been sheltered. Why don't you look at it like this? Thank God for a mom and daddy who's trying to protect you from all the evils that, that's going on in this old world. I'll tell you what, tonight I had a mom and daddy. They weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They had their faults. They had their failures. But I had a mom and a daddy that brought me up right. It wasn't an option on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whether we were going to go to church. I'll tell you, I didn't get to make up my mind. I was drugged back and forth to the house of God. But now at the age of 59 years old, I thank God that I had a mom and a daddy that made me do right when I was growing up. Amen. I praise the Lord for that now. And she could have been bitter over her family, but instead the Bible said in verse 37, she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She could have been bitter about the funeral. She could have been bitter about her family. And then I thought about this. She could have been bitter about her finances. I mean, you stop and think about it, friend. I mean, here she is. She don't have a husband. I mean, she don't have that support. She don't have that financial backing, maybe of a man that got up and worked every day. I mean, there's no telling how poverty-stricken this woman really was in life. There's no telling how little that she had in life. Maybe she had to be one of those like Ruth and go out and glean in the fields and, and what was left behind by the reapers in the corners and what they missed over. She had to go out and just glean in those fields like Ruth did just to have enough to eat, just enough to try to get by. Maybe she was poverty stricken. Maybe she had a rough time in life. Maybe she didn't have a lot uh, that, that, uh, uh, that she could call her own. But I'll tell you one thing. She didn't let all those circumstances make her bitter toward God. The Bible said she went on and she served God anyway. If we aren't careful many times the devil will get our attention off of how good God's been to us and we'll start focusing on what somebody else has got maybe that we don't have and we'll become a little bit resentful and bitter toward the Lord. Come on! If we aren't careful the devil can work on our minds. 
The devil can get us thinking negatively about God, like God's not fair, God's not good, because they've got more than we've got, and yet we're trying to do what's right. We're trying to serve God. Hey, let's be careful that we don't get bitter about the finances. I mean, all of that. She could have been upset about all of that, and yet the Bible said she went on to serve God anyway. Funeral, family, finances. And I'd even, I didn't even mention, I mean, stop and think about all the ailments that she had, her failing health. Why, at the age of 105, you know she had some problems. Can I have an Amen. You know the old gray mare ain't what she used to be when she's 105 years old. You know she's probably eat up with arthritis. You know that she probably struggles to get around with all the ailments that she has. You know that her body is breaking down and deteriorating. And many of us, and I said us tonight, I'm the one wearing the sling, bless God, so I'm preaching this tonight. But I tell you what, we know as we get older, things begin to happen to this old body and things start tearing up and things don't work like they used to and you got more pains than you got good feelings in your life. We understand all that and yet in spite of all that, she went on and served God anyway. Way. I can maybe see some of her family say, hey, hey, Aunt Anna, why do you go to church every day? Why don't you just, listen, Aunt Anna, you got to climb them steps, go through them gates to get into the court of the, uh, the women. I mean, Anna, uh, Aunt Anna, it's raining, uh, the, the weather's cold, the wind's blowing. Why don't you stay home? And I can see Aunt Anna say, you know something, I've done read in my Bible that one day Jesus is going to come. And when Jesus comes, I want him to find me right there in the house of God. I'm going to go every day as long as I can. And the least little old thing comes along keeps us out of the house of God. Can I have an Amen. Least little old thing, a headache, a toothache, uh, a, a knee ache, a toe ache, whatever. I mean, just a least as a sniffle will come along and keep us out of the house of God. I want to say, I've said it before, I want to say it one more time, that same Tylenol, that'll get you through eight hours a day down on the job. Bless your heart, will get you through two hours at the house of God. Amen. Sunday morning, they'll lay in the bed because something's hurting, yet Monday morning, it, it's, it's 32 degrees below zero. They're out there hurting all, grinding that old Ford, trying to get it to crank up because they're heading off to work. Tells me that their, that their work life is more important than their worship life is. I get it. People get sick. I understand all that. But uh, if you're going to go to work on Monday, you ought to come to church on Sunday. Hey, when Jesus comes, I don't want him to find me at home sitting in front of the TV on, Saturday, on Sunday night watching 60 Minutes, that God-awful mess. Can I have an amen? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, in spite of all of the reversals, the hardships of her life, she refused to get bitter, and she had victory anyway. She was a happy woman. Now, what's keeping you from being happy tonight? What's keeping you from having joy? I have never seen a time in my life when there are so many joyless people of God. And, and this has happened and that's happened and the problems come and the people come and the predicaments rises in our life and we don't have any joy. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, the only people on this world that can have joy on this earth tonight by right is the people who have been saved, washed in the blood of Jesus. I saw a little bit, number one, about her victory. She refused to let all those things that happened to her happen in her and drive a wedge between her and God tonight. 
Let me ask you something. What's driven a wedge between you and God? What are you bitter about tonight? Who are you mad at? Hey, who would you like? I heard about this old boy. He went to the uh, doctor one time, and I probably told you this before. He went to the doctor, and he had all these symptoms. The doctor ran a few tests, had him come back in a couple of days. And when he went back, uh, the uh, uh, doctor said, I haven't run all these tests. He said, I can tell you this, but you got, you got rabies. We've diagnosed you having rabies. He said, really? The doctor said, yes, sir, you've got rabies. He reached over and got a piece of paper and grabbed a pen out of his pocket, started writing feverishly, and the doctor said, now, now, now you ain't going to die. You don't have to make out your will. Uh, that's what you're writing, ain't it? He said, no, sir, I'm writing down the names of a bunch of people I want to bite with this rabies. <laughs> Can I ask you something? If you had rabies tonight, who would you like to bite? She refused to get bitter over all the setbacks of her life. And ladies and gentlemen, we are all going to have setbacks. We're all going to have difficult times. There are going to be those unexplainable things that's going to happen to us. There are going to be those trips to the funeral home. There are going to be those aches and pains and diseases. There's going to be all the, uh, the reversals financially, the loss of a job. Uh, we've all lived through all of that. But I just want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in spite of all that, we can go on and serve God and have some joy as we try to live for God in these days. Her victory. But I, I want you to see a second thing. Look again at verse 37. I see not only her victory, but I see a little bit about her vocation in verse 37. Now, what was her job? Well, look at verse 37. I, I've already mentioned this. But the Bible said she departed not from the temple. Now, that tells me something. I, you know what I think happened? Here's what I think happened. When her, her, when her husband died, she became married to God. God become her husband. And God's house became her home. Can I tell you something? God's house ought to be our home. Amen. We ought to love God with every fiber of our being. Verse 37 says that she departed not from the temple. And then here's her vocation. But she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. You know what she did? I'll tell you what I think she did. She did what the high priest ought to be doing. The high priest at this time's name was Caiaphas, and all he was was a politician. He didn't care anything about God nor the people of God. All he was out after was political power and prestige. And so here is a woman who's doing what the high priest ought to be doing. She's going before God, but with prayers and with fastings. You know what she's doing? She's bearing the people of God into the very presence of God. She's like the cherubims and the seraphims. She's going right into the presence of God. She's calling the name out of her nation. She's calling the name out of those crooked political and religious leaders. She's calling the names out of God's people. I'm telling you, she's made it her job to pray and to fast unto the Lord. You know something? We can, find a, we can find many people today who want to do the great standout jobs in church. Sing the solos. Preach the sermons. Teach the lessons. The, 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 the jobs that put you out in front of people. That would cause people to come by and pat you on the back and say, man, you did good. What a blessing that was. But thank God for the people like Anna behind the scenes. They never get the pats on the back. They never get the praise or the accolades. Their name's never called from the pulpit. 
Their name never appears in the church bulletin. Their names are never up on the screen. But watch this. They just serve God night and day with prayers and fastings. I think if you are honest, you'd agree with me, and I say this about myself. Oh boy, that's two areas of my life I need to work on. Prayers and fastings. How's your prayer life? On a scale of 1 to 10, what's going on with you prayerfully? It's awful easy to take those jobs that pushes us out in the forefront where we can get the notice and the, and, uh, and the praise. But boy, thank God for some people like Anna who will just run down to the house of God night and day and who will pray and who will fast. Can I tell you something? Boy, that's what we need in these days. We need some prayers. Can I have an amen? We need some fasters, people that will fast. I wonder if it would be embarrassing this week if we knew how long you prayed this week. I wonder if it would be embarrassing if God were to call out of heaven tonight and, or put up on the screens how many minutes or hours that I prayed this week. Can I ask you something? When's the last time you fasted and prayed? Hey, when's the last time you said, I'm going to just do without food all day long? Man, I'm going to go to God. I got a need in my life. So and so's carrying a burden. Man, I, un my, I got an unsaved family member. I'm going to God. I'm going to do without food. I'm going to take their name to the throne of God's grace. That was what Anna did for a living, friend. And I guarantee you, uh, the Holy Spirit took notice of it because he put it in the Bible. But I guarantee as far as the, uh, the people of the world, nobody paid Anna much attention. But she had victory, and she served God with prayers and fasting. Notice her victory. Notice her vocation. But look at verse 38. Notice her voice. I made mention of this this morning, but notice her voice. The Bible said when, one day when she went up to the house of God, when she got there, Back up in the previous verses, I made mention of this this morning. Simeon, an old man of God, was there in the temple. And while he was there in the temple, in walked this young couple carrying a baby. And when Simeon saw that young man and young woman who had come to offer the sacrifices that were required by Levitical law for cleansing, ceremony, when they brought that baby in, Simeon, Something swole up on the inside of Simeon. Look at verse 28. Then took he up, took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon takes that little baby that was born, lifts him up, and he says, God, I bless you. God, thank you for keeping your word. Thank you for sending the salvation of Israel. Thank you for sending the Savior of the world into the world. And about that time, Anna walked in, and when she came in, verse 38, to the house of God, she always knew that when he come, he'd come to the house of God. She wasn't going to miss that. So she came to the house of God that day, and when she heard him say that, she came in, the Bible said, and instantly she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. Now she's got excited. I'm telling you, there's an old-fashioned worship service going on right there in the house of God because of Jesus. Well, I tell you, we ought to worship once in a while because of Jesus. And the Bible said there in verse 38, she used her voice. 
And the word of God said that she spake of him to all them. She used her voice to tell others about the coming of the Messiah. She spake of him to them. Now, can I close tonight by just encouraging what I encourage you to do this morning? Why don't we during this Christmas season, why don't we give God the gift of our voice? Why don't we give God the gift of our witness? I wonder this year if God, and I'll use me for an example, but if God were to flash up on that screen right there and it started flashing, how many people I've really witnessed to this year? Man, I wonder what the number would be. I wonder if you'd probably sit there and say, wow, our preacher needs to get busy, don't he? But what if I look back at you and say, man, our members need to get busy, don't they? Because one of the areas that oftentimes we really let down in is using our voice to speak of him to them. I said earlier today that we got a great opportunity to do that in the coming weeks. We got family gatherings. We got uh, Christmas parties at the, at the place of business, Christmas suppers. Boy, have we got great, we're going to have a captive altar. We're going to have a crowd that's going to gather around us. Hey, why don't we speak of him to them? When you get together with your family, I don't know how your family is, but before most of my family died, because I was the preacher, they always called on me to pray. And I used that opportunity of prayer to speak of him to them. I mean, man, I'd just give them the plan of salvation while I was praying, while I was doing that. I remember one time at a family reunion, they called on me to pray, and that's the last time for some reason. I ain't got to pray no more at the family reunion. But they called on me to pray. Somebody told them, uh, that gammon's boy of ours, a preacher, it's a gammon's family reunion. And they said, he's a preacher, won't you call on him to pray? And they did. And I ain't got to pray since. And I ain't saying that arrogantly, but I thought, man, Y'all called on me. I didn't call on y'all. And I just took that opportunity to go ahead and preach a little bit while I was praying. I started thanking God for my family heritage. Of course, we had a lot of folks in our family we couldn't thank God for. We had some hoodlums. We sure did. But uh, yeah, everybody, everybody got family. Everybody got family. Thank God none of them swung by their tail, but some of them swung by their neck. We all got family. But, man, I led into praying. Thank God for my family. But then I said I thank God for the greatest family that I ever got in when I was 16 years old, and that's the family of God. And I got to thanking the Holy Ghost for coming by my way, and I got to thanking Jesus for dying on the cross for my sins, and I got to thanking Him for the promise He is coming again. And when I got done praying, it was like, I don't know, it seemed, it was probably only 30 seconds, but it seemed like it was a three-hour silence after I got through praying. And they ain't never called on me no more. But can I tell you something? I got them that time. We need to take these opportunities to speak of him to them. Anna used her voice in that Christmas season to speak to them about him. She used her voice. Why don't we ask the Lord during this Christmas season, help us to use our voice to speak of him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.